Tonight's reading is going to be in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this, at this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What an amazing season in the life of our church. And tonight, uh, we mark something of an end, but I think what we're marking is more of a new beginning. Uh, we're going to get there in a second, though. So I, I do just want to say, if you're joining us for the first time tonight, it is the worst and best time to have stumbled into this church because um, I, I want to catch you up to what we're marking and celebrating. And this night is really an introduction to who we are and who we're becoming as a people. So back in January, we began the new year um, devoted to the astounding wonder and confounding mystery that we call prayer. And in addition to talking about prayer on our Sunday gatherings for 10 weeks, uh, we also started a 24-7 prayer room in the Justice Center of our East Side location. And we chopped a full month into one hour time slots and we said, well, what if we just never stopped praying as a community for an entire month and then we kicked the whole thing off by worshiping and praying together at midnight on February 1st. And it was in that prayer room more through the practice of prayer than sermons about prayer that person after person after person discovered that while prayer is definitely a compelling wonder and is certainly filled with a whole lot of confounding mystery, more than anything, prayer is an unfathomable invitation. A place to know and be known by God, a place to unburden ourselves of our anxieties and be filled up with his peace, a place uh, to share the power of heaven and in interceding for the world around us and a place where we confess and are set free, a place where all matters are welcome, world peace and apartment hunting and yes, even parking spaces and ultimately a place of intimacy, of recovered intimacy with the God that we will spend eternity 
swimming in the depths of intimacy with. And then the month of February came to an end, but the appetite for prayer had only grown in our community. So we just kept the whole thing going for another six weeks and carried it all the way up to Easter, 1,809 hours of unceasing prayer. That's not a bad run. So here we are tonight to celebrate, but we are not celebrating the practice or commitment to prayer. We're celebrating the fruit of prayer because it's not a miracle that we showed up all of those hours. The miracle is that God showed up in all of those hours and that God filled the extra space that we opened up for him in our lives. That is what we are here to celebrate tonight, not our discipline, God's faithfulness to us. And on many occasions in the biblical story, people are told to build an altar, uh, to mark a moment, and that's because we're a forgetful people. And so altars are for remembrance. They're a clear sign. They're a stake in the ground to say, in the ups and downs of the many circumstances that we'll surely walk through after this day, we want to be sure that we do not forget that God did this. And we want to be sure that not just that we remember it, but that we build our future on the reality that God did this. And so that's what tonight is. It's an altar. It's a stake in the ground that we're putting as Bridgetown Church to say God has revealed himself to us through prayer and we will not forget. In fact, we want to build our future on it. And an altar is a communal project, not a one-man job. So I want to do something a bit different tonight. We are going to invite many voices to shape this celebration, not just one, because prayer is an invitation to every last one of us. And becoming a people of prayer requires every last one of us. And this season of prayer has been about every last one of us. And so it just seems fitting that many voices would frame the celebration that we're here to have. So I'm gonna open with a little bit of context to pick up some pieces from a biblical moment of where we've been so far since midnight on February 1st. And then we're gonna invite others up to share more uh, about their own experiences, which are just representative of so many experiences that exist in this room. Moses. An unlikely place to land, but this burning bush encounter is a profound picture of prayer. So Moses is a shepherd out tending the flock. It's an ordinary day, a forgettable Wednesday. He's just going through the motions half-heartedly, punching the clock at another work day, and that's when he notices a bush on fire out there in the middle of the desert. That's a bit strange. I imagine he then just continues on working, doing his own thing, going through his routine, until an hour or so later, the light catches his eye again. There's that same bush. Why isn't it burning up? And so he approaches to it, he walks over to check it out, and then he hears this voice. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, I want you to see something here. God initiates conversation with Moses in the most personal way possible. This is not a mass email that God sent out that Moses happened to respond to. It is so, so intimate. And to grasp how intimate the way that God addresses Moses is, you've got to know a little bit of this guy's backstory. He was born the son of a Hebrew slave on an Egyptian plantation. 
but he was adopted by uh, the Egyptian king's daughter and raised in luxury and privilege. But all that he had came on the backs of his own ancestors. And so as Moses got old enough to realize this, I imagine him walking out on the balcony that surely would have been off his own bedroom and looking down to see uh, Hebrew slaves everywhere and wondered probably a time or two, is that my father down there baking those bricks? Are those my cousins being scolded and whipped and mocked? Is that my mother with sweat dripping down the bridge of her nose? And so Moses carried this complicated family history with him all throughout his childhood. First, he just held it with tension and bottled it up. But then over time, it turned to shame. And finally, it spilled out of him in rage at an Egyptian slave driver. And with another man's blood on his hands, Moses ran away to start it over. Somewhere that that his past couldn't chase him. Somewhere that he could be anonymous. Somewhere he could reinvent himself uh, in a new identity. Not this complicated one that he had grown up in, Midian. That's a place that no one knew him, a place that he could try to forget, a place that he could start over. And he got there 40 years ago. So when God speaks to Moses, he targets the pressure point of his identity, the unhealed wound of his past. Moses, Moses, in other words, I know your name. I'm the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know your name and you know mine. I'm the God of your ancestors, the ones you feel shame about, the ones you couldn't bear to look at any longer, the ones you ran away from. Moses, Moses, I know you, really know you. That's the subtext beneath God's greeting from the fiery shrub. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God speaks into the deepest place of pain to bring the deepest kind of healing. Because Moses, who in Exodus 3 hid his face from God, in Exodus 33, just 30 chapters later, we're told that he spoke with God face to face as one speaks to a friend. This is the invitation of prayer. God initiates a conversation and then that restored line of communication between creator and created uh, reforms us. It brings the deepest, most personal kind of healing. It turns our shame into confidence and it makes strangers friends and unworthiness into grace and past pain becomes present joy. The face hanging in shame in Exodus 3 is glowing with radiance just three chapters later. How on earth does that happen? In a word, prayer. It's what Jesus was talking about on the final night of his life when he gave us the authority to pray in his name. It's what Larry Hurtado means when he says to pray in Jesus' name means that we enter into Jesus' status in God's favor and invoke Jesus' standing with God. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't come into God's presence as a half-interested, mostly selfish, frequently disappointing stranger. You look identical to Jesus through the eyes of God. You are fully known, adored, desperately pursued as a daughter or son of the king. You are the heir to the highest kingdom that will never end and outlast all the others. And that, in my experience at least, changes everything. You see, we come asking for gifts and sometimes we get them. But the greatest gift and the one we are guaranteed to receive in the place of prayer is the giver himself. And that is the gift that Moses received. So prayer is about personal 
breakthrough. But that is not all it's about. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. Now this is so simple but so profound. The first thing that God says to Moses is, what's burdening you is burdening me. And that's something God says over and over again all throughout the biblical story. Jesus becomes the personification of these very words. What's burdening you is burdening me. You see, in the spiritual life, trust comes before faith. Faith is the assurance of what you hope for, but trust is confidence in the character of God. And trust comes before faith. When it comes to prayer, trust is the certainty that the listening God hears and cares. I don't always understand God, but I I do know that I can always trust God. Because I can trust the character of the God who even when he doesn't make the suffering go away, always wears the suffering alongside me. Jesus revealed a God who was offensively human in comparison to any other religion. A God who knows pain and grief, weeping at his own friend's memorial service. A God who knows the overwhelming nature of suffering in a fallen world, who heals a leper only to go on living in a world with leper colonies, or opens up the sight of the blind on the same day that five more children were born blind. A God who occasionally breaks forth in supernatural power, but used his own suffering as the greatest means of supernatural healing. We're talking about a God who suffered under systemic power. He was born to the peasant class of an oppressed people group during an infant genocide. At the end of his life, he was tried without representation, falsely accused, and ultimately murdered by those in positions of power. This is a God who felt pain on his physical body. By his stripes, we are healed. So that Hebrew slaves in the ancient world and African-American slaves in the last century and Indian slaves in the current century would know that they have a God who sits beside them in the midst of their own pain and suffering. And a God who experienced the grief of really praying to someone when he really needed only to watch that prayer be responded to seemingly, at least for a moment, with silence. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Now, I don't understand everything about God, but I do trust the God who never looked down on suffering from a lofty throne, but always looked it in the eyes of the, always looked into the eyes of the suffering from level ground. And so prayer is about personal breakthrough, but secondly, prayer includes personal suffering or personal pain. The confusion and silence of waiting on a God that we don't always understand, but can always trust. And then finally, the last portion of our text. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. You see, here's the promise. I've heard the cries of my people and I'm coming to the rescue. God acts. All of those promises of Jesus, those astounding invitations about the power of something as humble as prayer in the mouths of his common people, they're not fairy tales. They're not for the naive or the sheltered or just for the occasional small request. Prayer really is the release of divine power on the earth. 
It really is the spreading of heavenly resources in a fallen, fallen world, and God actually has made you and I managers of the hosts of heaven, trusted to partner with him in calling the shots on how those resources get distributed. The primary and most demonstrative way that we join God in his work of redemption in the world is the humble, simple act of prayer. See, the power of prayer is not only for Moses in the desert or, or for passionate reformers with stories from hundreds of years ago or for excitable pastors with stories about middle school revivals. It's for you. Do you notice in this passage whose cry it is that reached God's ear? Do you notice whose prayer God is responding to? It wasn't Moses. It was the unnamed, faceless Hebrew slaves whispering prayers under their breath while they're baking bricks in the desert sun to build someone else's empire. You see, that's the invitation of answered prayer, that it's not just for a class of spiritual elites, it's for you. Do you hear me? It is for you. So prayer is about personal breakthrough and prayer includes personal pain, but ultimately prayer is the miracle of God's power shared with his children. God is not asking you to pray in order to trick you or teach you a lesson. God is a loving father who loves to give good gifts to his children, his daughters and sons. The greatest testament to all this prayer stuff, it's not the life of Moses, another man from another world, it's our lives. It's what God is doing here and now among us. It's the stories that have grown up in this very community as we've prayed together and privately, as we've prayed in one hour time slots in a set room, and as we've prayed in five second moments as we're walking from this to that. And so we wanna pull this extraordinary invitation called prayer off the pages of scripture and into the life of this community here and now. Let's tell some stories. And we're gonna tell, yeah. We're gonna tell a couple of different kinds of stories. You guys can come on up. You should start, this is like Oscar. Start playing me off. I'll be out of here in just a second. We're gonna tell a couple of different kinds of stories. We're gonna tell stories of answered prayer, of God's power available to his children. Because in the big and, and miraculous ways, God really does answer prayer. And we want to become a people of prayer so we will celebrate the answers to prayer that exist among us. But if we're gonna tell stories of answered prayer, then I also just wanna take a second to acknowledge lament, to acknowledge that prayer does include personal suffering. Roughly a third of the biblical Psalms are laments. They're cries of what God is not doing that we so long for him to do. And our stories are unfinished as we sit here tonight. Everything is not made right. And every prayer doesn't have a neat bow tied on top of it. And so tonight is a night of celebration and we will rejoice with those who rejoice. But as we celebrate as a community, I also wanna not acknowledge that a mature community of prayer also weeps with those who weep. And there are some sitting here among us and you are weeping in the waiting. And I wanna say that on so many other nights, we weep with you. And so we invite you tonight to join your voice in celebration and rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. And then finally, we're gonna tell stories of, of personal breakthrough because God really is this personal. He's initiating a conversation with us individually. He's putting his finger on that deep thing that we need in our lives. And as I've said, we come for gifts, but we get the giver. 
And it turns out in the end that that's the greatest gift, the one that we didn't know that we were after. So we're gonna tell those kind of stories. And here's how we're gonna do this. We've invited these brave souls up to tell some stories and, and we're gonna participate with them. So we're not gonna hear their stories, we're gonna turn their stories into our communal prayers. And so after each story, you're gonna have a line. It's gonna be really simple. Gerald's gonna lead you, he's the illest MC. You've got this, okay? <laughs> so we're gonna tell stories of answered prayer, big and small, because both are worth celebrating. And we're gonna tell stories of personal breakthrough because all around you, God has been at work and the promises of Jesus have come alive in the inner lives of your brothers and sisters. So instead of applauding after these stories, you're gonna turn them into a prayer. So your lines are gonna be on the screen. After stories of answered prayer, as a congregation, you're gonna join your voices together in saying, do it again. And that's gonna be our prayer. And then after stories of personal breakthrough, you're gonna join your voices all together in saying communally, thank you, Jesus. And that's gonna be a way for you to take a story and turn it into a prayer. All right, I'm being played off. Okay, I showed up at the prayer, the prayer room on a sunny, beautiful, warm day. I sat in the parking lot waiting for my time to come. Um, and as that time came, I found myself reluctant to leave the sunshine and go downstairs into that dark room. Um, and, but I did. And when I got down there, I knelt and I took a breath and I just said, God, I haven't asked you for an experience down here because I just want you to be enough. But today, I'm asking you to help me experience your presence here. And almost immediately what came to mind was the picture of a meadow, beautiful, sunny meadow, quiet, peaceful, long grasses, wildflowers, butterflies, the whole works. And um, it was quiet, very still. And a gentle breeze, breeze came through and brushed my skin. And I thought of Elijah in First Kings where he was seeking God and he didn't hear God in the earthquake. He didn't hear God in the storm. He didn't hear God in the fire. He heard God in the gentle whisper, the still small voice. And it was like God was telling me, Marnie, remember, you don't need a grand experience to, um, to know that I'm here. I'm here in this, this quiet stillness. And it shaped my prayers for the rest of the hour. And it wasn't until I came out and I stepped into the sunshine in the parking lot that I realized he also gave me an hour in the sun down in that dark room. That's good. Okay, out loud together. Do it again. Well, my story begins in July of last year and I had a really significant personal thing that happened to me and it was super, super painful. And I had really wrestled with that over and over and over and over again. Pull all the way up to the end of March. And I went to the prayer room. And my favorite space to go there was behind the couch. And I knelt down. And I was praying about the thing that was so heavy on my heart. And tears had come so many times over the course of those months. And I'm down there and I'm praying, God, what am I to do for this? How do I fix this? What do I do? And I saw I was in the 
we went from the meadow to the Sahara Desert, and I was in the Sahara Desert, nothing anywhere except for sand, and I'm down on my knees with two saddlebags that were specifically woven and super colorful, and I'm taking all that pain and all that hurt, and I'm shoving it into those saddlebags that were really pliable, shoving, 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 shoving. And all of a sudden, in a weird way, a camel showed up right here, and the saddlebags were laid still there on the sand. I got on the camel and the camel took off. And at that moment, I knew it was finished because there's no way I could find those saddlebags. The winds were gonna come, the sandstorms were gonna come, and there's no markers anywhere for me to find that pain and that hurt again. And I've not felt it again one time since that day. All right, together, do it again. All right, so about a week before the prayer room opened, a healthy 15-year-old boy at my daughter's high school came down with a a life-threatening illness, ended up in the ICU. And a couple days later, we uh, got an emergency call to um, head down to the hospital to pray. They were um, saying they were going to lose him, and there were, I don't know, 30 people out front. We prayed and I just knew that night that God had turned the course of his life and was going to save him. And um, so I, over the next few months, people continued to go to um, Randall Children's Hospital, stand outside in prayer, and um, to the point where people started asking for prayer. And um, so I just think that was a spark um, that lit a fire. And Back, um, back to when the prayer room opened, I had mentioned to the family that we would put his um, picture up in the prayer room, and they were just incredibly comforted and felt um, overwhelmed with a sense of protection for that. And then a few weeks later, I went to the prayer room, and um, any of you who have been there know, like, uh, I couldn't see his picture at all. It was covered in about an inch of other people's prayers, and Um, You know, when you walk through the prayer room, you'd think that it would be discouraging to see, you know, uh, literally like an inch deep of prayers on the confession board and prayers on the friends and family board, not to mention the prayers for our city and world. And yet I just continued to be just welling up with faith being there. And the analogy that I've told so many people is it's like being in a stadium, praying with thousands of people. And that's the feeling I always had when I went. And um, I, so, um, so yeah, so I, that whole process of just being filled with faith and um, just actually recently, Rowan, after 91 days in the hospital, Rowan walked out on his own. Woo! And I... Uh, He's going to be heading back to school soon, so super excited about that. But I just wanted to share um, that on one occasion in the prayer room, I saw this image. It was in the Northeast um, Sanctuary, and it was all of us in the sanctuary. Um, There was like two inches of water at our feet, and it just kept rising and rising and rising to the point where it was spilling out the high windows into the streets, and that's what I feel like the Lord has done with our prayers through the prayer room and going to do more. All together, do it again. Hi. Um, Okay, a couple months ago, I heard about a story um, regarding ship workers, international ship workers, 
So um, if cargo ships, if they have an incident, they have an oil spill or they crash into something, just like a car wreck, they have to figure out who's liable uh, for the accident. Um, unfortunately, some, some of the um, companies will uh, send all the crew members to jail until they figure it out, or they'll take um, the, the boat with the people in it, dock it offshore, and those people have to stay on the boat until all of that gets figured out. So this is such a crisis that's actually um, humanitarian relief organizations go to these boats to give these people water, food, and medical aid. So um, I, found about, I found out about the story, his name's Lowell, so I went to the prayer room, put his name with 10 of his co uh, ship worker friends on, uh, or his crewmates on a list and put it on the global board. And um, they had so many false starts with the courts. They um, asked for a lot of money that these guys can't afford. Um, so they thought, you know, they're gonna have to escape from prison or um, just kind of wait. And um, it's really cool because after two years, they got released uh, the day after Easter for forty dollars. <laughs> All right, together, do it again. Are we changing the tagline now? Or? Yeah, this is a brief intermission. These are stories of personal breakthrough. When Mark is done altogether, we're going to say thank you, Jesus. Hold that, Mark. <laughs> okay, thanks. So uh, good evening. Like, like many others, I've struggled with uh, how the face of Portland has changed dramatically since moving to Slabtown in 2019. With riots, uh, increased homelessness, trash everywhere, and graffiti changing the face of the landscape, I admittedly became very jaded and depressed. Um, I've, I've really searched and prayed for how to overcome these feelings. And for my first visit to the prayer room, I planned to confront the Lord in prayer about it. Um, when I got to the Pray for Portland station, those of you who know what I'm talking about, um, I said to him, you know, it's going to take a freaking miracle for Portland to change. I really said, oh, freaking's okay, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's on my paper. Um, so in that moment, um, I heard God respond to me. He said, but Mark, I'm a God of miracles, and I do this stuff all the time. So upon hearing that, for the first time in a long time, I had an overwhelming sense of peace living downtown in the midst of everything going on. And uh, in the days that followed, as I prayed to God's leading um, for changing my heart, I pressed into the Isaiah 62 prayer that we pray every Sunday. Um, yeah, and my thoughts on this prayer centered around God cleaning up Portland and restoring it like it was. Um, however, on my next visit to the prayer room, um, as I prayed for Portland, the Lord clearly corrected my line of thinking for what change and restoration looks like. Um, my prayer um, and desire for change was to clean up the trash paint over the graffiti, get Portland back to the way it was. This is not the Lord's plan. The Lord said to me, it's not the buildings and the trash uh, that I care about and want to change, it's the people of Portland that I want to change. Yeah. And so in that moment, I, I totally had to get on my knees and repent of how wrong and selfish my prayers were for Portland. And I made it a point to, uh, um, from then on to join in the Lord in praying for the people of Portland. So since then, I've set up what I call the Slabtown Prayer Room, which is a little, uh, in our little condo. Each morning I light a candle. Um, I turn on Spotify, a playlist that I made with all the cool songs that are in the play. I'm happy to share it with you guys if you want. Um, and have continued to grow in intimacy uh, with the Lord as a result. And I have no idea what the Lord really wants to do um, and what he has in store with me yet in respect to this. But I do feel like um, that in some small way I'll be involved. And that's it.
All right, all together. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so my first time in the prayer room was really hard, frankly. Um, I was very overwhelmed by all the pain and the prayers on the wall were really intense. Um, and I actually left kind of discouraged and overwhelmed. And I went home and I couldn't sleep. I had sort of, I think, lies in my head and maybe some sort of potential spiritual attack. I don't know, but I was um, almost mad at the prayer room. Doesn't that sound silly? And um, so I got up in the morning dark early and I was praying and I was like listening and I heard the Lord say, go back. And so I looked up online and sure enough, there was a worship happening that morning in the prayer room and I drove in and went and had just a wonderful time of rejoicing and healing and um, a great time in the prayer room and so thankful that I listened. I went back several times after that and one of them was on my actual sobriety birthday. So I have 19 years of sobriety and Valentine's Day. <laughs> So Valentine's Day, <laughs> God's awesome. Um, Valentine's Day is my sobriety birthday and I spent it alone in there. And sorry, you guys overwhelmed me. Um, I um, felt the Lord saying, remember when Tyler taught about the powerfully healed becoming powerful healers and um, you're supposed to not hide that part of your life anymore. You're supposed to be available for people. So here I am telling you all about it from the stage. I've been super <laughs> private about it to this point, but um, I've been making myself more available through service and um, our family has been tremendously healed. And so have I in my time and experience in the prayer room and um, more intentional in prayer. So just really thankful for that. Thanks. All together. Thank you, Jesus. So a month ago tonight, my BFF's uh, stepdad had a heart attack. He had no pulse for 20 minutes, and I was worried and praying all throughout the night and could not sleep a couple nights later and heard God say at 2.21 a.m., go to the prayer room. So I looked up the calendar and it was open from three to four and I was like, oh no, that's so early. And so I went and prayed for Pete and then went back home. And the next week, uh, eight days later, the same thing happened, but I was fast asleep and sleeping so good. And then at 2.21 a.m. the same time, I woke up wide awake with the thought, I should go to the prayer room. And I looked at the calendar and it was open again from three to four. And I was like, oh no. And so I went and I prayed for Pete. And then the next week I was like, okay, I'm gonna just look at the calendar before I go to bed. <laughs> and I did. And I signed up for a 2 a.m. time slot and drank a bunch of coffee. And I went there and that was the day of the ice and snow and it was closed and locked. And I was wide awake. And so I went back home. And I had prayer room at my apartment. And so God taught me through all that that you can have prayer room anywhere 
And also keep praying for Pete. Thanks. All right, together. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I was uh, in boiler room prayer last week for Easter at the 9 a.m. service because I came and there was literally nowhere to sit. And I was like, I know where there's an open spot. Um, so I went down to the prayer room and there were six of us down there. And um, yeah, so we were all just praying. We're praying for like an hour and a half or so and we had mostly finished. And then I was like, oh yeah, I'll just pray this thing that came into my mind. And I was like, Lord, would you bring healing to people? And I just kind of closed my eyes and was like, oh, here's, sorry, <laughs> here's, um, here's the things that I'm seeing. Like, oh, would you heal wrists? And would you heal back pain? Would you heal shoulder pain? And I was like, let's think a little more, like Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, would you heal connective tissue diseases or disorders? And then I was like, and would you heal interstitial cystitis? Which I was like, maybe that's a connective tissue disorder. Amen. Um, and then somebody in our group of six said, oh, hey, that's what I have. And um, we're all kind of like, oh, because it, it kind of transformed from like a prayer that maybe was just me into like, oh, the Lord's actually come into this moment to reveal himself to us as a group and to this person who has this painful struggle in their life. And so we got to minister to him, just pray for healing and um, we don't know if he was healed or not fully or if it was just like a seed form. But what we do know is in that moment that he got seen, he felt seen and heard and knew the love of God in the place of his pain. All together. Thank you, Jesus. Um, so I had um, a really vivid um, vision of this large urn, which I've been told by a Catholic friend of mine, that it's a incensor. It's like this large urn filled with incense. And I saw this uh, large urn with this rope that went way up to the heavens and the clouds, and it was swinging really slowly. And I saw it swinging down through the streets in kind of the both commercial areas and these tree-lined, beautiful neighborhoods and but what I didn't see was it kind of over the entire city without purpose and intent but I got the impression that it was working one street at a time and it was like this sense of like someone kind of casually and peacefully walking through um, on a sidewalk and this fragrance that was coming up was this sweet fragrance enough that it was like drawing people out. And it's like, you know, when you smell fresh bread or, you know, like maybe for those meat eaters, that smell of bacon in the morning actually will pull your teenager out of bed, you know, and it's just attractive and it actually provokes appetite. But as this thing was swinging, I saw it just kind of changing people's hearts and I was giving notes because I'll start preaching if I don't have guardrails here. Um, yeah, and then, so while I was still in the prayer room, I feel like I wanted to sketch this out. So I looked on the board, and if you've seen it, like there's like very little real estate left on this board. So I had to get up on a chair, and I started doing this thumbnail sketch of this, this urn blowing through and swinging gently through the, the streets. And... I noticed after I drew it, it was right above, I don't know who did it, but someone drew this really beautiful drawing of water flowing from kind of left and all the way down to the corner, and I think you guys have seen it. And when I drew it up there, I kind of stood back and I looked at it, I just really felt like the Lord was saying that this sweet fragrance 
of prayer precedes this release of precious flowing river from the Lord. And that this sweet fragrance of prayer will also prepare the way for others to follow, especially in parts of the city that may be difficult to physically walk through for various reasons. I also believe the Lord will supernaturally give his people greater courage and joy to walk into these, these areas of the city that were once places to be avoided or unwelcoming and leave behind a sweet fragrance behind that will linger for generations to come. All together. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, let's give it up for these guys. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. See, here's the risk of prayer, is that God has a tendency to employ us as the answer to our own prayers. I am sending you. But here's the promise of prayer. I will be with you. And that's enough. So what I want you to understand, Bridgetown Church, is that prayer is not a thing. Prayer is everything. We will become a people who know kinship with the poor when we become a people of prayer because Jesus lives in kinship with the poor and he will take us where he's going. And we will become a people who are compassionate, truly prioritizing the other when we become a people of prayer because Jesus is compassionate, truly prioritizing the other. And as we spend time with him, we become more like him. And we will become a people of justice when we become a people of prayer because Jesus flipped over the tables in the temple and said, my father's house will be called a house of prayer and he will put our heart within him and he will open our eyes to see the places of injustice when we become a people of prayer. See, we will empty out the foster care system waiting list and we'll change the narrative for single moms and we'll father the fatherless and open the eyes of the blind and visit the prisoner in distress and heal the sick and welcome a harvest of lost children into the family of God when we become a people of prayer because the Father will send us on his redemption mission with the heart of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And I want all of that. So this must be a house of prayer. And we must be a people of prayer. So that's what's happening in us and and that's what this night is all about. This is not the end to a season of prayer. This is a spark that makes us a people of prayer. It's not an ending, it's a beginning. And I want you to hear me say this, steadily growing church attendance and sustainable giving metrics and above average Christian programming will not do. My father's house will be a house of prayer, said Jesus. And 1 Peter 2 gets into the architecture of how the house is built. And it says the foundation's Jesus and only Jesus always has been Jesus, always will be Jesus. But, but the house of God is built up by living stones and that's you, his people. But I think the pillars, the columns that support that structure are our stories. 
the stories that we tell that we can continue to build around and be held by. And so that's who we're becoming, a people of prayer, a spiritual house filled with his presence. And if that's who we're gonna become, then we're gonna need to pause from time to time to tell the stories because those are the pillars that can hold up the structure that we're becoming together. So there's two ways that I wanna invite you to go from tonight into ongoing practice. And the first is Holy Ground PDX. Because the next step in becoming a people of prayer is to take an experience that was made for us in the walls of our church, beyond the walls of our church, and into the ordinary spaces so that they become the sacred ones. It only took a second for God to transform Moses' workplace into holy ground. And it only takes prayer to transform all of the ordinary places that you occupy into holy ground. So let's come behind Jack in the Beaverton prayer room. Let's come behind Mark in the Slabtown prayer room and let's turn our whole city into a place of encounter with Jesus. So build a boiler room or a prayer room in your own home or make the Broadway bridge on your evening and morning commute that place of prayer or your front porch or a holy corner in your bedroom or the park that you pray and walk on Saturday mornings, wherever. Just turn the ordinary places into sacred places by saturating them in prayer. So if you go to that website we've shared, we're gonna put all of our resources from our prayer room there so you can take whatever you'd like and make it yours. That's this spring, starting tonight. And then after that, we're gonna prayer walk every block of our city this summer, and we're gonna return to a 24-7 prayer room in September, and we've got even bigger dreams for all the months after September, but if I told you them tonight, you'd think I'm crazy. (laughs) So I'll save those. But I just wanna close with this question, are you with me?